Welcome to Beyond Blathers, the podcast where we dive deeper into the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. I'm Olivia Bercier, And I'm Sophia Osborne. And if you want to support the show, check out our merch store at etsy.com slash shop slash beyondblathers to see all the stickers, postcards, and sticker sheets we have for sale. So this week we are coming to you together from my hometown of Vancouver, Canada, and Olivia is actually here for an entomology conference, which worked out nicely for us. We have been able to hang out a lot and work on our theses I together. I love that us hanging out was just like us working on our laptops, but like near each other with some yeah. nice beverages, like matcha. That has become like 99% of my <laughs> life as a master's student. But yeah, I'm happy to have you here and excited for you that you're going to this conference. Yeah, no, it's really nice. And I'm glad the conference was here because all of my best friends live in Vancouver. So yeah, the the conference is the joint annual meeting of the Entomological Society of America and the Entomological Society of Canada. And I have to say it that way because it's such a long name and it sounds very fancy. (laughs) It's just a bug conference. So anyway... That's not even its full name. You also have to add the like Entomological Society BC to that. They needed like a wittier name, I think, because it was hard to like search that up in my email every time I needed to like retrieve an email from them. They need a huge acronym. Yeah. Uh, What would that be like? Jam. Oh, Jamessa. 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 (laughs) You know, it could be worse. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty good. Jameski skick. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so I'll be there. I'll be presenting some of the preliminary results of my research. And I'm excited to really just hear what's going on in the field and meet some bug people. Yeah, it sounds great. I haven't been to a lot of conferences. Like, I guess I haven't really been to any academic conferences. I've been to some journalism ones, but it's always fun to like... Yeah, we went to a journalism one. That was fun. Yeah, it was super fun. Like get to dress up and meet a bunch of people in your field. And I don't know. And everyone was staying in the same hotel. So it felt like kind of a party. Yeah, it was really fun. And I remember learning a lot, meeting cool people. And it's really cool that you get to do a presentation. Yeah, like students are usually encouraged to present and like practice presenting. So yeah, I don't really have... I don't really have a lot of results from my research yet, but I'm going to be presenting like the little that I do currently have. So yeah, why don't you tell us a bit more about sort of how you've been preparing for your your presentation? Yeah. So for those of you who haven't been with us for so long, I've been doing my master's at the University of Alberta with Dr. Carol Frost and John Acorn as my supervisors. And so I'm basically looking at Corixidae, which is a group of animals. You may be familiar with them as water boatmen. They're these little bugs that live in ponds and lakes and rivers. And they have these like really big eyes and these very like long, like oar-like legs. So I'm looking at them and then also aquatic beetles. But for for now, I caught like so many beetles, like thousands of beetles <laughs> that I have to identify the species and like identifying something the species can take like an hour or two sometimes or longer if you need to like look up new resources or like double check it against like a museum specimen. So at the shortest, it can take like a few seconds and then at the longest, it can take forever. So at the many thousands of specimens is going to be really brutal to ID. All that to say that at this point, like I, I finished my field work end of August. And so I haven't had time to ID those. So we're just focusing on the water boatmen. 
And so with the help of a lot of volunteers who are wonderful and helping me out in the lab, we got them pinned and ID'd. So I have, I think I checked like 966 Crixids that I've ID'd in the past two weeks. So I was, you know, at the lab for some pretty long days. And yeah, and what we're doing right now is we also took a bunch of water quality samples from all these ponds. So the ponds are urban ponds that are in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is the city, my hometown. And the ponds are from stormwater ponds. So they're like neighborhood ponds. And so we took water samples from there. We sent them off to a lab with the help of like EPCOR, who's like our partner. And we got all these like water quality variables back. So I'm comparing what species we found of Crixid to what water chemistry we found. And it's a very exciting result. We found nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no! So we basically found that like, it looks like at least like the Crixids I've currently ID'd. So I've, I've identified about half the Crixids I have. Sorry, Crixids being the water boatmen. And yeah, it just seems like they really don't care (laughs) about the water quality in terms of like their abundance and like the species. So yeah, that was like, I don't know. No data is also though better than like vague data. Yeah. So like it was like super duper non-significant. So. And so much of science is just having a hypothesis and then proving yourself wrong yeah yeah (laughs) the nice thing is like this is not the only thing we're comparing it against we're also going to compare like how close the ponds are to other water bodies because that's probably going to have a big influence like if it's close to a river it's going to have way more stuff in it because a lot of there's some crixid species that will have these huge migrations out of rivers into like nearby water bodies so the ones closer to the river are probably more likely to have both like a greater abundance of Crixids, but also maybe more species. But is that pattern the same with like, if you have a whole bunch of ponds really close to each other versus a pond that's pretty isolated. So I'm excited to look at that. I'm also excited because one thing that I think is really cool is we found half of all of Alberta's Crixids in the city already. So that's pretty amazing because it's an urban area. So we found, yeah, like half of all of the species in the province in this area. And like Alberta is really big. It's got like mountains, it's got boreal forest, it's got like farmland in the south. So quite a variety of habitats too. So I was surprised to see that we have like such a high percentage. But I don't know if that's like an impressive result considering that like Crixids are relatively tolerant of a variety of conditions, which we're seeing with the chemistry. So yeah, it, that's kind of the preliminary results. But to prepare for it, I had to do a whole bunch of coding. Like heads up, if you're going to become a wildlife biologist or really anyone in environmental science, like you have to learn to code. It's a little ridiculous that most undergrads don't make you learn how to code. Or maybe they'll give you like a little introduction. But if you're going into that field, just be ready. <laughs> it kind of sucks if you struggle with that sort of thing like I do. But I don't know. I'm also like happy to be learning it. So, and I've got very supportive, a very supportive supervisor team and lab mates. So, yeah, it seems really difficult from what I saw, like just a lot of kind of trial and error and figuring it out. And just, I feel like the coding language combined with the super scientific language, like I heard a call between Olivia and her supervisor <laughs> figuring it out. And I was just like, I don't understand 90% of the words being said. I like said. understood about 
like 80% of what was being said. I was like, okay, I think I understand what my supervisor is saying. She's very patient and a great supervisor. I just, (laughs) I really struggle with this stuff. I really struggle with stats and math. So like, just like understanding the statistics of what you're doing is such a big hurdle for me. So whereas like, I don't know, just like visually seeing what's happening is much, much easier for me. And identifying is like, honestly, not that hard. It's time consuming, but I don't find it to be like, extremely frustrating the way that stats and like coding can be so yeah which I'm sure is probably the case for many if not most people in the field but yeah I guess everyone has their different like the things that come easier and harder to them and it's the Mm -hmm. same in I think any field like I know I feel that way about a lot of stuff with writing and yeah but I think you're gonna have I think the presentation is gonna go great I hope so (laughs) I know that like your the powerpoint is looking really nice and yeah, I think it'll be so cool. It'll be so cool for you to meet everyone. And yeah, I I hope I hope we'll be able to hear some cool insights from people. Yeah, I, I hope so too. Yeah, it's been a many, like a week of like very, very late nights of like, I don't know. I feel like every night for the past like three weeks, I've had about five hours of sleep every night. So <laughs> it's been a little rough. It's very like grad school feeling where you like really overexert yourself. But I'm happy to be here and I'm excited to see yeah, what we're going to learn. I'm excited to meet some new people. And yeah, I hope with this episode, I can bring you some like fun insect facts. I'm going to sort of see if some of my lab mates want to talk a little bit about some of their favorite insect facts. So stick around if you'd like to hear about these insights from different entomologists. Amazing. Hi everyone, I'm at the conference right now and I thought it'd be kind of fun to do uh, a sort of mishmash of fun facts for you to listen to. So hope you enjoy. These are various fun facts collected from different entomologists and Sophia's cut them together for us. My name is Tobin Neem. I'm a master's student in the Agriculture, Biodiversity and Conservation Lab at the University of Calgary and study carabids. And my favorite kind of fact that I've been using for my research is that I put out plasticine caterpillars into the field and I can tell who's been munching on them and the activity of the beetles. And I can tell which carabids and which, which kind of beetles. And, you know, sometimes there's mice and I can tell from their bite marks what has been eating things within agricultural fields. That's incredible. So you're like doing almost like forensic-y like... Yeah. Looking. Yeah. Oh, wow. You, you can also, tell by just the mark. Just the, yeah, the bite marks. It's also been compared to like fossil traces. Yeah. yeah. Of, like, yeah, bite mark stuff. Uh, so I've had some paleontologists kind of interested in what I'm doing, that's which so is cool. totally apart from, from where I'm at. But yeah, it's really cool. Well, that's sick. I didn't know that about yeah. what you were doing. Yeah. So that's great. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Sarah Ritchie. I'm an artist and I incorporate insects into my work. And my favorite bug fact is when it comes to earwigs, they've got a terrible reputation. And part of that comes down to the name being a horrible misnomer on what we think earwig, something ends up going down your ear canal. And it's actually a mistranslation and bastardization from the German ear wing, because when their wings are unfolded, it's in the shape of a kind of lobed ear. 
So it resembles that and their wings have actually the highest surface area to compact ratio and they've been used in bio modeling. So stop hating your wigs. Yeah, I like it. I didn't know that. That's yeah. a fact that's new to me, which Great. I appreciate. <laughs> My name is Valerie Marshall. I'm a research technician with AAFC. And my fun bug fact is that the Odinates, um, specifically one species of dragonfly, um, but the Odinates in general include some of the strongest flyers in the entire insect world. And there's a species of dragonfly that has the longest migration of any insect traveling over the entire Atlantic Ocean. That's incredible. Wow. Love that. Thank you. <laughs> my name is Grace Ford, and my position is as a PhD candidate at the Ohio State University. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So the fun fact from my system is that oyster mushrooms are carnivorous, and that's been known in the mycology literature for a long time for nematodes, microscopic roundworms. But we just discovered that they'll also make traps and predate on fungus gnat larvae in order to steal their nitrogen. Wow, that's crazy. Oh, my God. My name is Lily Hart. I'm an insect collections assistant at the Illinois Natural History Survey. We are part of the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign. And my interesting insect fact is about the bombardier beetle, or since we're in a francophone country, I can say <laughs> bombardier, bombardier beetle. Bombardier. That right. So they're carabid beetles, they're in the family Carabidae. And I think they are semi-aquatic, I'm not totally sure on that, but basically the fun fact about them is that they squirt out, well, they spray a <laughs> noxious chemical out of the end of their abdomen. So it's a, they have two reservoirs in their abdomen. It's a mixture of hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone. And when the two mix, then it's like a firecracker that like shoots out of their butt. And it's really cool. Look it up on YouTube. One study showed that 43% of them survive being eaten by frogs. And then they're regurgitated because that horrible chemical reaction firecracker thing happens and the frog spits them out. And then they just kind of get up and, like, walk away. But it's wow. really cool. Look it up on YouTube. It's incredible. It's amazing. What a great name to go with what they do. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly what they are. I uh, agree. Amazing job, whoever named this beetle. Yeah. Anyway, thank you, Lily. That's thank perfect. you. Thank you, Olivia. Okay, so we are here on Stanley Park looking and flipping over rocks and finding dead crabs. And I'm here with Alon, who's been on the show before. Hello. Do you want to tell us your fact? Yeah, so one of my favorite bug facts is that fruit flies, which are about one millimeter long, have sperm that is two inches long. So it's about 20 times the length of their body. And the reason for that is sperm competition. Those really huge sperm effectively push other male sperm to the sides of the genital tract so that they can inseminate the female. That's a good fact. <laughs> Excellent. All right, back to hunting for crabs and the like. 
my name is Rachel Pizzante. I am a PhD student at the University of Alberta and I study hoverflies, uh, mainly in canola fields surrounding Edmonton. Yeah, so Rachel is my lab mate. I sit across from her every day. <laughs> so we ID bugs together. Yeah, it's very fun. It's a little chaotic. We laugh in stress together frequently. <laughs> um, so yeah, do you want to tell us your fun fact about surfids? Yeah, so some species of surfids are actually migratory, so they'll migrate. Oh, uh, wait, it, we should explain what surfid is. Yeah, oh, so yeah. <laughs> a surfid, also known as a hoverfly, I think I've used both terms now. <laughs> they are a family of fly, true fly, diptera, and they are really good mimics of bees and wasps. So if you've ever seen a, a what you think is a bee or a wasp, and it's just kind of hovering next to you, and it's not really stinging you, it's just kind of checking you out, and it, it's not, some of them buzz, but most of them are like pretty silent, and that's actually probably a hoverfly and not a wasp. Or a yeah. Bee. Yeah. Guaranteed, listeners, you've you've seen a hoverfly. Like, I, it's happened. And if you look really closely, next time you're near a flower, you're very likely to see them. They're pretty common. Yeah, they're super common, especially in the early months of whatever your summer is. So here in Alberta, that's going to be like end of March, April. Once that snow melts, you're going to start to see <laughs> hoverflies. <laughs> yeah, we have such a late winter. We're like, yeah, March, April, May, <laughs> late <melt>. May. <laughs> Yeah. And yeah, so some hoverfly species are migratory. So this has been shown in Europe and as well in North America. And they'll get right up high in the sky into the jet streams and the, uh, they'll migrate to the south during the, the winter months and then back up north for the summer months. Oh, that's so exciting. Monarchs get all the attention for amazing migrations, but mm -hmm. it's cool to hear that surfids do it too. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, so much smaller than a monarch and they have yeah. like way less of a flight ability but they're still getting up there and uh, are they doing it intentionally like are they trying to migrate or is it sort of like an accident that they end up way up there no they're definitely i would say that they're trying to migrate <laughs> it's not it's definitely not like an accident how much um like capacity they have to understand what they're doing oh yeah going on. <laughs> but um the research that was looking at different hoverfly species and evidence as to whether or not they migrate, one of the things they noticed is that the um, species that they found to be migratory uh, don't have any cold tolerance, so they'll freeze faster than species that don't migrate. Hmm. So it's probably that transition to cold that just has them start moving into uh, warmer climates. Cool stuff. I'm Jonathan Larson. I'm an extension entomologist at the University of Kentucky, and I'm one of three hosts of Arthropod, another podcast. A fantastic name. <laughs> <laughs> it's very good to meet you. Yeah. And and what name name of the show again? One more time. Beyond blathers. Beyond blathers. I almost said bringing blathers. It's a. It's all good. <laughs> but I like the alliteration. Uh, so I'm here to talk about a fact, right? Yeah, okay. like any your favorite or a a bug fact. A bug fact. Yeah. A bug fact that I always like to throw out throw out when I used to be an extension agent. All of the talk a lot of the talks I gave were about bed bugs and one way I really got people motivated to learn about bed bugs was talking about their mating process mm. the fact that the males have a serrated ediagus so a serrated knife-like penis 
and they stab it into the side of the female rather than using her actual sexual opening at the other end, or sort of rear to her body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they inject their sperm into her that way, which wow. does not seem like a great way. So she runs, no. runs away immediately afterwards, hopefully to never see another male again, presumably. Yeah. Uh, and then that helps with bed bug spread sometimes. So it turns out that females also don't want to encounter other bed bugs. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That doesn't make them more appealing, but it is no. very fascinating. Oh, was I supposed to make it cool? <laughs> oh, no. No, this, this was is horrifying. Cool. Yeah. 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 No, that's great. Well, cool. It's Fantastic. good to meet you. Fantastic. Yeah, Thank it was you. good to meet you, too. Well, thank you so much, Olivia, for all that insight into the conference and how you prepared for it. It was great to to hear from all those cool entomologists. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Beyond Blathers and check out our TikTok at Beyond underscore Blathers. And if you'd like to support the show, take a look at our shop update at Etsy.com slash shop slash Beyond Blathers. Tune in next week to learn more about the insects, fish, and fossils you can find in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Bye. Bye.